Thanks, Stephanie. That was great. So, so talented. Well, good morning. Good to see you. Um, we are in our series on Ruth. We're cruising right along. So if you turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, I'd appreciate that. I know it's kind of confusing, isn't it? We're in Ruth. We're going to study some of Hebrews first. So Hebrews chapter 3, if you would turn there. Um, as you do that, I want to make sure you're aware um, we have kind of redone and reworked our nursery uh, schedule and with volunteers who are just loving to love children. And one of the one of the spots that we've kind of gone back and forth and questioned whether we should keep it or not is the 10 a.m. nursery um, spot. And so, like today, we had we had two workers, vibrant faces, ready to love children at 10 a.m. during Sunday school, so parents could go to Sunday school, and we didn't have any kids. And that's okay. That's that's kind of normal. Uh, but just so you're aware, parents, if you if you would like to go to a Sunday school class and be a part of an adult Bible study, and you feel like, well, I, I, what do I do with my kid? Well, we have nursery available for you during that during that hour, and we'd love to. Um, util- have you utilized that if you feel uh, feel that's good and right? And uh, and we certainly have workers there that love Jesus and love children and uh, are very qualified to be there. So please take advantage of that if you if you can. All right. Um, Hebrews chapter three is where we're gonna we're gonna be starting before we get into Ruth. Um, excited excited to go through this today, and we're looking at specifically Naomi uh, today, and just kind of the way God is gonna provide for her. So just to catch us up a little bit, last week we looked at God's Hesed love for us, right? This hesed. And remember what we said hesed was? It was God's like faithful, loving, covenantial, loyal, steadfast, enduring, merciful love for us. It was this love that it, it, it's almost too, too hard to, to explain. And in fact, I had another book on hesed in my office. And as I looked at this book uh, and with Alistair this week, we kind of looked through it and just kind of brainstormed. But there was like a page and a half or two pages of just one word kind of phrases of what God's love is like and the reference where that is. And it, it is, it's immense, this hesed love of God, this enduring love of God. Remember last week we went through and did a responsive reading to Psalm 136, which, which shows 26 verses of God's faithful love that endures forever, right? That's what we're talking about. And, and last week when we kind of tried to build this up, we, we, were, we talked about being so concerned that we, we're so concerned from what? Breath to death. That, that, that's, where, that's what really matters is when I'm breathing and, until I die. But really what God's enduring love gives, as he gives it to us, what, it, what that encompasses is from forever to forever. That's his enduring love. That before the foundations of the world, he knew you and he had in his mind an enduring love, not only for the Trinity of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the unity there, but an enduring love for you and I, his creation, who would eventually be his own people, and he would draw those people into a relationship with him that he could be with them and we could be with him forever. So it's, it's enduring. It's from before the foundations of the world, and it goes all the way into eternity forever, right, with Jesus. It's not just breath to death, this enduring love. And I, I mentioned it, we likened it to a parent's love, right, because it's hard to kind of, how do you explain that love? And, and there's different types of love and different feelings we have towards our children or towards each other. But a parent's enduring or hesed love would look very similar. Like, like as soon as I knew my wife was, was with child, this love inside of me started to well up. And even before that, the prospect of, of living, living out that legacy and, li- and giving that to someone else, even before conception, right? But once I knew, once we knew, like there was this enduring love that was wanting from our heart to pour into a child and, and see that that child would come to grow and know the Lord and come to this fruitful place of love, being loved and, and loving others and hope and joy and having this, this full rounded uh, person, right? And we talked about it not being like, well, I want my kid to be a doctor. 
Like that's what I'm going to move towards. It's not that, right? It's, it's something bigger and deeper. It's more profound. And, and ultimately for a Christ follower, a parent who's a Christ follower, it's that they would know Jesus and have that internal enduring love from God for them and that that would endure long into eternity for them as well. And that's the liking. And what we said last week is this. As a parent, I would do what? Anything for my child. There's nothing I wouldn't do for them. And that's this enduring love. And I kind of, kind of broke a fallacy of like that, that statement we make, like, well, you know what? Um, I'm, this is what I'm going to do with my kid, and there's nothing going to get in the way. And that's, I, I kind of get that, but I, I mentioned that, what, things do get in the way, don't they? We have these mind, our thoughts in mind for our children and, and for, for something, a future for them, and things get in the way. Amen? Like, it, and think of your own life, things that got in your way, and of your parents maybe wanting to see you come to this fullness Things get in the way, but what God's enduring love does, and it's this movement, this motion of his love, what God's enduring love does, it says this, no matter what, I'm not going to let anything remain in the way. Uh, yeah, something might get in the way, but my enduring love is coming through. And that's, that's how we can kind of start to reconcile and see how God judged nations and how, how he, he slaughtered them if they didn't get out of the way. He's like, this, this is an enduring love I have for my people, and if you're going to deny me and not be my people, you better watch out, because there's nothing I won't do for my children. And that's an enduring love. And, and we, we, so we read a dramatic reading, right, of the, book, of the whole book of Ruth last week. We got to hear the whole book and kind of try to start focusing our heart and our mind on this, on this lens of hesed, how, how, we, how we see it portrayed from Scripture and from God's love and from, from the book of Ruth. And my encouragement was for you to go home and read it with your family and continue to see that. But the next few weeks, we're going to take some of these components of God's hesed love for us, isn't faithful, enduring, providential, uh, providing, what, what else? Merciful, compassionate, grace-filled, steadfast love for us. And we're going to see how it plays out in the characters we see in the book of Ruth. So today we're going to be looking at Naomi. But before we do that, before we look at, uh, and, and, and Naomi, we're going to see how God provides. Today's about God's providing. You see it in the bulletin, the insert, uh, about providing rest. That there is a, a deep sense in God, a loving sense in Him of His Hesed, that He wants to, for us in His Hesed to provide rest for us, and we're going to see how that plays out and see how it plays out for Naomi. But I want to look at the Book of Hebrews before that, because uh, the opposite of rest, what we see in Scripture, is wandering, anxiety. Right? It's like that wandering. I'm not restful. I, I, my mind is wandering. I'm thinking of other things. I'm distracted, and we're going to see how this kind of happened even for Israel way, way, way back in Exodus, and how, how the author of Hebrews mentions that and, and sees how we are there fighting against God's rest because of our wandering heart. Okay, So let's pray, and then we'll get into our scripture, our text of uh, Hebrews 3.12. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your, your enduring love, this faithful, merciful, compassionate, grace-filled, steadfast love that you have for us. God, it's, it's, it's truly indescribable. And Father, we want to rest in that love. We want to hope in that love. So today, as we, as we gather, we, we gather with hearts that are bowing before you, humble before you, asking that you would fill us up, that you would be also our treasure, the one we seek the most, the one that can really fulfill. God, we ask that as we go into your word, that you would, would open it and open our eyes and our hearts and minds to be receptive to it. God, that you would teach us from it, you would challenge us, and you would change us. God, that we would leave differently than we came in because of your great love that you have for us. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're in Hebrews chapter 3, 
and we're looking at verses 12 through 19. I want, I want us to, and, and th- I said this to early service, this is a, a rich, rich text. I almost wish we had a whole week or two just to, just to concentrate on this text, right, and, and to pull it all apart. But we'll get the gist of what, what's going on here. Here's what it says in verse 12. It says, Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So there's a description right here going on, right? What is an evil heart? Or what is that evil inside? It's an unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. That wanders, right? That is distracted. That says, I, my, way is, my way is better. And certainly we see that in the book of Ruth in the time when the judges ruled. They lived as if there was no king and they did whatever was right in their own eyes. And they wandered away. Going on. And he, he says, be, uh, be oh, sorry, but encourage each other daily. So there is this propensity to evil. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. You see, there's an importance in being with others and encouraging others. I love Sunday mornings, and Sunday mornings is one of my favorite times of the week. I love it. But there's more to, to this body and to this, this encouragement than happens on Sunday morning. We need to be daily in each other's lives, daily in prayer for one another, encouraging one another, so that it says none of us is hardened by sin's deception. So when we wander, it's not because, oh, I know this is better. It's that I was deceived in thinking it was better. And sometimes I need that swift kick in the pants, right? And say, hey, that's not better. Wake up. This is what's better. And that comes from our brothers and sisters in Christ. It comes from us, right? Encouraging one another and loving each other towards Jesus. That's really important. So going on, it says, uh, so encourage each other while it's still called today so that none of your heart, none of your hearts is hardened by sin's deception. Verse 14, for we have become participants in Christ, if we hold firmly until the end, the reality that we had at the start, this faith and hope in Christ. And as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as, as in the rebellion. Quoting scripture there, and he goes in 16, uh, For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses? With whom, with whom was God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it those who sinned, whose, what? whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter the, his rest, if not those who uh, disobeyed? Now look at verse 19. So we see that they were able, unable, unable to enter because of unbelief. They were, un, they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So this, this heart, this heart that is prone to wander, is prone to wander when, when that faith is not present, when that encouragement for faith is not present, and, and it starts to wane or, or go away, or maybe we never had it to begin with, and we're just going to be disobedient and not, and not believing. But for you and I, there's a, there's a, a connection to, to God's rest that he's going to give us, and our faith, our exhibiting faith in God's promise of that rest. It, and I, it's not just like I sit down on the, on the seat and just like, okay, God, I'm here by myself already. Just give me that rest you promised. And sooner or later, you're going to start listening, and it's going to be quiet, so quiet. It's like, in my house, i got to get rid of this. But one of our clocks, at that second hand, man, it just drives you nuts. <laughs> click, 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 like, no. And you start getting antsy, and there's no rest there. But there's, there's, I think there's a kind of a formula we can see that God's providing, the way he's providing for us to have that rest. And we're going to see that today as we look at uh, Naomi. So let, let's go to Ruth now. Turn your Bibles to Ruth, if you would. I want to see how this, this wandering and this lack of rest is present as we saw in the beginning of Ruth. So we're in Ruth chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5 together. And, and just kind of, I want you to see the parallel happen, happening here. In, 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 
Hebrews, the author is talking about uh, the, the Israelites who came out of Egypt. He's like, listen, you came out of Egypt. God, and it wasn't just because you, oh, I'm, we're leaving, see you later, because the Pharaoh wouldn't let you do that. You were slaves there. But God sent Moses, and he sent Aaron, and he said, no, we're, go and tell, tell Pharaoh what? Let my people go, or else. And a lot of or else happened, because they were, Pharaoh got in the way of God, got in the way of God's enduring love for his family, his people. And eventually, Pharaoh's like, fine, I've had it. You've taken my son. Go. Leave. Get out of here. And they go. And they go into the desert. And, and they're, they're there. And, and even then, last week we saw in Psalm 136 that, that Pharaoh decides, you know what? I want him back. No, you can't go. So he starts chasing him, right? And they get to the Red Sea. And what does God do? Parts the sea because of his enduring faithful love, right? His steadfast love endures forever. And they go across on dry land. And what, what happens? Pharaoh's right behind him, and, and what, he goes in the Red Sea. He starts to cross with his army, and what happens? God hurls the sea at him, or hurls him into the sea. Like, oh, no, you can't go. You're done. These are my people. These are my family. Stop pursuing. Let them go. And they're in the wilderness after that. And, they, and they're, they're going to go into the promised land eventually, right? And they're, they're on their way, and God's providing manna for them to eat. And, and they're all, they should be focused on God. And what's happening? Distraction's happening. Moses leaves for a little while, goes up on the mountain. What happens? They build a, build a false god to worship, a representation of, of God, whatever God they wanted to worship. What are you doing? Don't you know what we just did? Oh, we, we think we'd be better off back in Egypt. Are you kidding me? You, God just brought you out of there? And, and, and Pharaoh, who, want, who wants to make you slaves, decided he didn't want to let you go, and then he pursued. So God can, continued to deliver you by wiping him out and wiping his whole army out. But you still want to go back? And God's like, I, I want to stop wandering. I want to give you what? I want to give you rest. When you enter the promised land, you're going to have rest there. That's what God wants to give. He's providing that to them. And so they get to the edge of the promised land. They send spies in. Twelve spies go in, right? They come back and what? They're all excited like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. These huge people, are there. no chance compared to God. No, it's only two of them say that. It's only two of them say, yeah, we can do this. But ten of them convince the others. No, you can't. You, this is what they say, right? This is in their mind. You wouldn't believe what's in there. And that, and that, that comment stirred in, in the hearts of the rest of the people unbelief. Because you're right, I just can't believe it. I can't believe that God could actually provide for us over all of that. Do, we, did you, do you want to look back behind you again? See the Pharaoh and his army floating? In, I mean, did you not see what God has already done? He's providing for you. So judgment came up because their, their hearts were distracted. Their hearts wandered away. Our hearts are prone to wander. They couldn't see it. They couldn't feel it. They, 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 didn't, they didn't trust that God would provide for them in that way. And he was so ready to provide. So what happened? It said the bodies of that generation, what, died in the desert. That generation was not allowed to enter the promised land. And not, not until the next generation, right? And bodies were there in the desert. Because they're prone to wander. Because they resisted the provision of God and the rest that God was going to give. And then we see this whole problem happen again. They get into the promised land. Generations later, they get in the promised land. They fail to clear it all out. And we saw what happened when we, when we started this series in the book of Judges. And that was the days when the judges ruled. It was chaos. It was chaos because they allowed these other people, these other distractions to be there, and they allowed their hearts to wander. Not much different from today, is it? I, I, I just want for us, I want for me, I want to find rest. I want, I want to feel that provision of God and feel that rest that he's offering for us. So let's look at Ruth. Let's look at see what happened with Naomi. It's kind of a recap as well. Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. During the time of the judges, we talked about that, there was a famine in the land. There's judgment here. 
Something's occurring. You're disobedient. There's famine. A man left Bethlehem with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. We talked about this. This is not a, a nice place you should go. This is not the, the Holiday Inn Express, right, of, of your Christian faith. This is like the drudges. This is like the, the basement of unbelief. There's no support there, no, nothing there that's going to help you thrive as a, as a believing family to be encouraged in your belief. It's not going to help that at all. Sin, sin is going to creep in. But, but listen to what happens. So God's given them the land. They're in the land. Their generations are there. You have, you have Elimelech in Bethlehem, the house of bread, right, where it should be full. And they, even the text says later, we said this a few weeks ago, that, that when they left, they left full. They had everything they needed, except they needed to obey. And then God would continue to provide and bless but they didn't. They, they decided to leave, and they left full, and they went away. And then Naomi, it says, she returned what? Empty. She returned empty. He left. And Limelech said, we're leaving. He wandered away from where he should have stayed. That's always where it starts, isn't it? In our hearts today, it could, could be, I'm going to wander away from that, that group of people that was investing in me scripturally. Maybe your Bible study. I'm going um, to wander away from from church for a little while, from gathering together, and because I don't want to have, you know, I don't know, it's just kind of feels icky sometimes and hard. It does, but, but when you leave, you're leaving, you're wandering away. And God's desire is to provide for you and provide rest, but not as you wander. He can't do that as you wander from Him. He wants you to come to Him and find that rest. So a man left Bethlehem and went to Moab, and then uh, they were, it says in verse, into uh, verse, I don't know, three, two, they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. It's like, what are you doing in this foreign land? You're supposed to be these people. You should be back with your people. They entered the fields of Moab and they settled there. So they left and they entered somewhere else. That's that wandering. It said Naomi's husband, what? Elimelech, he died. She was left with her two sons. The two sons took Moabite women as their wives. One named Orpah and the second was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion died. And Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. You see this wandering again. You see it in the in the in the desert with the with the Israelites out of Egypt. This wandering led to bodies all over the, the desert. People died there in that in that wandering area. And now you see see this happening now with with Naomi and her family. Right, Elimelech leaves and wanders away and leaves what is what is right and good and whole, hope and belief and faith. And he leaves and does his own thing. And what happens? Loss occurs. He dies and his two sons die. And Naomi now, now, now Naomi. Now the question for today is what happens with Naomi? How, how does she get through this? What happens? Because she is certainly absolutely empty at this point. Absolutely empty at this point. So we introduce today and we talk about the fact that we are prone to wander as well. But God and his hesed love for us is wanting to provide rest. So we're going to look at today four ways, four, four things ways that God provides his love and his rest for the wandering heart. If you're like me, it's like, I need to pay attention today, right? Because my, my heart is just prone to wander, and I don't want that. Number one, God provides rest by providing for your needs. God provides rest by providing for your needs. So as God's hesed love is coming in his provision, he wants to provide you rest. He says, I'm going to take care of you. 
I'm going to take care of you. And, and there's a couple different facets in this we're going to see today as we go through the text. So we should be in Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to be jumping around, and I'm going to, I'm going to give you the reference so you can jump to the next verse uh, so you can follow along. Okay, 1 and then uh, verse 6 is where we'll start. This Naomi, she, this is after this loss, right? She and her daughter, daughters-in-law set out to return from the territory of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had what? He'd paid attention to his people's needs by providing them food. So God is there to provide. He's going to provide. And she hears God's providing for his people. Why did I ever leave? You can think about that, right? Think about those, those what-if questions. And go jump down to verse 22. So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law Ruth, the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at what? The beginning of the barley harvest. Just so happens. Just so happens that God's providing. And by the, by the way, you're, you're coming into town at just the right point of this harvest. We aren't just planting seeds right now, waiting. We, it, is, it is on and the fruit is bearing and we are going out to, to collect. And it is going to be, it, you're going to be full and satisfied. God is providing for his people. Jump down, down to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 3. So now you have Ruth. Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvester. So she's there, and she's made this commitment to Naomi. And so she happened, she happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. Now the text there is this divine providence of God. Like God provided this field, the right time, right place, right people, because he's God and he loves us and it's a hesed love. Amen? That's what he's doing. This just so happened is not really, there's no coincidence involved, right? There's this div- divine orchestration from God. And so it belonged to Boaz. And then the the text describes who's Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Someone close. And we're going to hear more in a few weeks about this kinsman redeemer and what that means and the depth of what that means. So jump down to verse 18. So this is God still providing food. Happened happened along the field of Boaz. Now there's going to be some grain here. In verse 18 and 19 of chapter 2, she picked up the grain and went into town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She brought out what she had left over from her meal and what? She gave it to her. Naomi's needs are being taken care of. Again, there's, there's providence or a provision of food here. Then look at her mother-in-law in verse 19. Her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you gather barley today and where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Ruth told her mother-in-law uh, whom she had worked with and said, The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Now, Ruth may have no idea about Boaz. She knows Elimelech, but she probably hasn't had the whole lineage training of, of who's who. They've been in Moab for a while. And, and so she says, this, this guy's name is Boaz. And, and interesting, th- think about Naomi now. See, this is, again, God's hesed love, his faithful, enduring, loyal, steadfast, merciful love being presented to Naomi in, in the way of provision. He's providing for her. And you get this restlessness, right? You're like, where's the next meal going to come from? What's going to happen? What's going to happen with Elimelech's estate, his property? I don't know. What's going to happen? I, I'm at a loss as Naomi, right? Naomi's back and she's kind of at a loss. Ruth goes out to glean at the, and God's providing food. So, so we're going to have food. But there's more to it than that. See, there's redemption that has to take place over this property and over this family that God can redeem, but God's going to use the family, the kinsman redeemer, to, to, to buy back and make whole again what was broken and separated. So Naomi's sitting there and said, where, where did you glean today? That, that's amazing. May the Lord bless this person who let you, let you glean there. And Ruth said, oh yeah, I, I was in the field of a guy named Boaz. Imagine Naomi at that moment, who knows Boaz and knows 
where he's at. Imagine the sense of relief. Just, oh, off, off your shoulders. Just that burden that you were carrying, that worry. Oh, wow, God's providing. And I shouldn't say, like, doesn't have that response right now, right? But we see God's at work. God's up to something. Where she left full and came back empty, God is now starting to fill her up again. God is starting to provide for her not only food, but going to provide for her the redemption that is also necessary. And she just has this weight lifted off of her shoulders, off of her chest, and she can just, oh. And I love that because when, when you and I can understand that God is providing for our needs, not only physically, but also spiritually, we can take a breath and a step back, and we can say, you know what? I can, I can hope. I can have faith. I can believe. I can trust. I don't have to wander or let my heart wander. And it's, again, getting that perspective and putting yourself in that position to say, I'm going to believe what God has promised. I'm going to believe and trust in what God is doing for me. Matthew 6, 31 and 33, through 33 says, don't worry about anything. Don't worry saying what you're going to eat. This is Jesus talking. Or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. For the Gentiles, all those who wander all the time, they are the ones who eagerly seek after these things. And your heavenly Father, your, your Father who, who loves you with a hessed love, knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. You see, there's this food and, and need, the clothes and shelter that God's providing for us. But, but overarching that, prov- that provision of food on our, as our, on our daily needs is the deep spiritual need we all have. That need for redemption, that need to take, like Boaz will for Naomi and Ruth, because of God's providence. But like what God has done, He's gonna He's gonna take Jesus and help fix what was wrong with us and, and our estate. And to make us whole again because of the cross of Christ. There's a redemption that's offered, and that that is our most pressing need. And if we would seek first to humble ourselves and gain a righteousness that was not our own but came from Jesus. He will then add all the other stuff unto us as well. God is a providing God. In his hesed love, he's providing, and he wants to provide rest. See, when, when Naomi had food, she was comfortable, right? When Naomi had food, it, it was good. I, my stomach's full. But when she had redemption, she had rest for her soul. Number two, as the hesed love of God provides rest, it does so through vulnerable community. God provides us rest through vulnerable community, through each other. So back in Ruth, chapter 1, we're going to see how this plays out. Verses 19 through 21. The two of them, that's Ruth and Naomi, traveled, traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival. The whole town is there. It's a community thing happening. They're like, whoa, this, this whole community is there. We, we heard you probably coming back home. We're waiting for you. We see you. We're there for you. We're, we're the community, right? We, the whole town was excited about the rival. And the local women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Like, finally, she's back. I remember her from you know, a decade ago, but she's back. And, and I thought she might be coming. I'm glad she's here. Can this really be her? And I remember what Naomi, her name means, right? Sweet and pleasant. That's Naomi. Can this be Naomi? Look at her response. Verse 20. Don't call me Naomi. Call me what? Mara. Don't call me sweet and pleasant. Call me bitter, she answered. For the Almighty has, been ver- or has made me very bitter. 
I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has opposed me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? There's something we need to learn here. When we hear this, we see this, this text, and we're like, man, Naomi has, she's lost it a little bit. Like, she, this is, she's struggling. You, don't, you shouldn't be all bitter to God. What are you doing? We, we almost have this holier-than-thou outlook on Naomi. And, and what, I, what I want us to learn today, and what I think God, the, the God's Word really, really shows here, is that if God's going to provide rest for us, we have to be willing to enter into vulnerable community. Now, the example is not great, but you come in the front doors today, and, and half of us, or a quarter of us, right, we come in there and, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. Good to see you. And how you doing? Good. And we're really not what? We're not good. Like something's going on. Something's, we're struggling in some way. Maybe a quarter of us do that. We lie to the person at the front door of the church, right? Hey, how you doing? I'm fine. Really? Are you really? I mean, maybe you are. Great. But here, here's the way. We can wander and say, you know what? It'll, it'll be fine. And not be honest. Or we can have that opportunity, take that opportunity, as God is providing an opportunity for us to enter into vulnerable community and say, you know what? I'm struggling. Can you pray for me? This is what's going on in my life. What do you think? Do you have any wisdom? Could you point me in the right direction? Could you give me a text from Scripture? Could you give me a song that, that would just resonate in my heart? You see, the vulnerable community is important. Now, I get it. The front door may, be, may, be not, be the, may not be the place to share that with, right? You have people coming behind you, people in front of you. We're just trying to get all the hugs in we can and let you go. I get that. But before service might be the time to share that with someone. In your Sunday school class would definitely be the time to share that with someone or a group. The community that gathered around. In your home Bible study, your community group out in the, out in the world in homes. After the service ends and you stick around and you're talking with each other. Great opportunity to say, you know what, this is my community. I need to be vulnerable because God is going to provide rest for me if I'm vulnerable. It's very commendable what Naomi did. Very commendable. She was honest. She was real. And she was ready, ready to take on whatever, whatever that meant, being real. She was ready, ready to see what God was going to do. And you see glimmers from then on. You start to see these glimmers of, of change in her, of God doing a healing in her and a work in her, God working hard to fill her back up and provide her with the rest that he promised. Why? Because she decided to be honest and enter into vulnerable community. It's very important for you and I to do that. It's, and it's okay if you're not fine to say, you know what? I'm not fine. Because we've all been there before. And some of us that might be doing fine can help encourage others that aren't. Very important to enter into vulnerable community. Go down, look at verse uh, 11 of chapter 12. I'm sorry, chapter 2. There aren't 12 chapters in Ruth, it turns out. Chapter 2, verse 11. Boaz answered her. like This is talking back and forth to, to Ruth and, and kind of getting the story of what's going on and who this gal is. He says, Everything you've done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has what? Been fully reported to me. Now, we didn't see that fully reported. We saw a little bit of a snag of who it was. But fully reported? What does this mean? That this community that had gathered around Naomi was sharing this information for the benefit of her and, and to people like Boaz who were faithful. They, they understood what is going on. They understood the role that, that Ruth was playing in Naomi's life, and they understood what was going on in Naomi's heart. The whole, everything's been reported to me, how you left your father and mother in your native land and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done. And 
May you receive the full reward from God, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. He's like, yeah, God's going to bless you. God's going to give you rest. And she's probably already feeling that. Ruth is. But through this vulnerable community that Naomi entered into, there's an opportunity now for her to grow and for her to have rest. Naomi's community knew her and knew what was going on. Her faith family cared. That's why it's so, so important that you and I as the body of Christ make this an op- a priority. To make this a priority. To make each other a priority. To encourage each other day in and day out while today is still called today so we won't be led into and hardened by sin's deception. I don't, I don't want to when I'm not doing fine to wander away into, into even worse. I want God's redemption and God's fullness to start to heal me. And that happens through his people. And this is not about gossip, by the way. If you're, if you're entering into community and you want to get, to get the details on people, just for gossip's sake, stop. That's sin. God wants this community to share and to love one another so that they can grow, not gossip. So they can grow and they can heal inside. It's about bearing burdens as the body of Christ. All right, so how else? Number three, God provides rest through the faithfulness of others. God provides rest through the faithfulness of others. Go back to chapter one. Look at, let's look at verse 16 and 17. But Ruth, so we're going to see Ruth's faithfulness. We're going to see Boaz's faithfulness, and we're going to see the, the women in the town's faithfulness in this, in this point, okay? So the first part here, but Ruth replied. She's like urging, go away. Stay away from me. Go away. Go back to your people. You don't want any of this. Ruth said, don't plead with me to abandon you or return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do it severely, if anything but death separates you and me. There's this faithfulness from a Moabite girl who really doesn't know Yahweh yet, but wants to, wants to have faith in Yahweh, but she's she's like, you know what? I'm just going to be faithful. And in her own heart, there was this provision that God was providing. God was saying, listen, you can go back to the house of bread with your mother-in-law, Naomi, and something had to click, right? She comes from this place of Moab, way disobedient, different culture, way different gods, way different stuff happening. And she sees something different, perhaps, in Naomi. And at the least, something different. At the most, conversations after conversations about God and what it was like and wishing that we never had come to Moab. And then God is drawing Ruth into this relationship by his enduring love as well. So God's providing for Ruth as well. But in Ruth's faithfulness, and Ruth's faithfulness is a way that God is also providing for Naomi to care for Naomi, to help Naomi. Because when they get back, what happens? They need, they need grain. So what happens? Go down to uh, verse, chapter 2, verse 2. Naomi says, you know, or Ruth says, I'm all in. I'm with you. And then they get, they get to Bethlehem, and she says, Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone uh, with whom I find favor? Hey, hey listen, I'm here. I'm going to be faithful to continue to help provide for you. What the indication is, Naomi probably couldn't do that. She's probably in an age where she could not do that. So if she had come back alone, what would, what would have happened? God provided through the faithfulness of Ruth in Naomi's life, right? We don't know what would happen if she was alone. God would have probably still provided in some way. But God uses the faithfulness of others to provide for you and for me. 
says, can I go, go glean grains? Yeah, that sounds good. So then verse 8 in chapter 2, Boaz, so here's Boaz steps in. So Ruth was faithful. Now Boaz said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, don't go and get, uh, gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. This is just after he said, I know what you've done. I know, I, I know you've been faithful. So he knows that Ruth's been faithful. And now he's deciding, I'm going to also be faithful, not only to Ruth, but because if I'm being faithful to Ruth, I'm going to be faithful to Naomi. And God is going to use, and whether he knows that or not, God is going to use their faithfulness as a way to provide rest for them. Verse 15 of chapter 2, 15 and 16. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz, again, being faithful, ordered his young men, let, let her even gather grain among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Put out some of the stalks from the bundles for her to, to, uh, and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. He's setting up this win for her, right? Like, like everyone else might be rebuked because they're trying to get things that aren't theirs. He's like, I'm going to make sure that this family is provided for. I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to be faithful to help provide for them. That's how God's using to provide. Now go to chapter 4, verse 14. So we see this redemption eventually happens, and we'll see the full story as we go along next week and the weeks after. But, but this happens like Boaz and, and Ruth end up, uh, he, he ends up redeeming the family, the family uh, line, right? And, and buying back the property and, and, and taking on uh, Naomi, but also taking on Ruth as his wife to perpetuate the line of the deceased man, right? Her husband, her ex-husband, or her deceased husband. And, and what we see is a baby is born. So this whole t- this time has gone forward and God is still providing rest, right? She left full, bad decision, came back empty, and was honest in vulnerable community. And now, in the faithfulness of other people, she is growing in her own faith. This wandering heart is coming back, back to this place of fullness because of her trust in God. So see what happens in verse 14 of chapter 4. The women said to Naomi, because of this baby, Blessed be the Lord. Praise God. Praise God, who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name be well known in Israel. The women are saying, this baby... This man, this Boaz, and this baby, God is, God is filling you up. God is starting to provide you with rest. What does it say? Blessed be the Lord who has not left you without. See, God in his providence in providing for us and providing rest, if we would, if we would turn to him in faith and trust and, and hope in him, he would not leave us without. He would not leave us without. He will give us what we need, and namely, a redeemer in Christ Jesus. Amen. But after that, there's, there's a, a healing that has to happen and scars that need to be mended. And God is, God is in the business of doing that. So that she exclaims, they're so excited, God has not left you without. So the faithfulness of others to be, these women were around her and supported her. That was her group. We see, we see Boaz and, and Ruth in the field and things happening there. We don't see much of what's happening while she's at work and Naomi's home with home and the women are coming by to say hi. But there's the faithfulness of others that, have, that has indicated from the moment they, sh- they walked into town to the time at the end of the book where the, where the baby's born. And we see this fullness happening because of the faithfulness of others. So maybe there, there's kind of two categories for you here. Maybe you're Naomi. Maybe you are Naomi. And here's what I would tell you. If you're a Naomi and you're hurting and you're struggling and you don't find this, you don't have this fullness and this hope of Christ, you need to peek up and look around. And look around at, for the faithful people that God has put in your life. I guarantee you they're there. And if you would decide and desire to be vulnerable and enter into vulnerable community, God would start a healing in you that you have not known yet. And it's kind of this weird cycle. It's like, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? It's Jesus. That's the answer, right? Sunday school answer, Jesus. But what comes first? Do I, do I enter into vulnerable community first or do faithful people have to show up first? 
Well, God's always faithful to provide faithful people. And when faithful people are there, we can be vulnerable with them, right? And when we're vulnerable with them, we're vulnerable with who? Faithful people. And we can be vulnerable. And that cycle keeps on going. That's what happens there. And there's growth that occurs. So maybe you're Naomi. You need to peek your head up and say, who is, who is God placing? Who, who is God in his hesed love for me, in his enduring love for me? Who is he placing around me that's faithful? That's going to say the hard things to me, but also going to come alongside me and hug me when I need a hug. Who's going to pray for me and encourage me, but give me a kick in the pants when I need it? Who's faithful around me? That, that I will begin to see the provision of God's rest on my soul and for my soul. The second part of that is this. Maybe you're not the Naomi. Maybe you're the Ruth or the Boaz or the women. Maybe you, you're not in that place of hurt and, and depth of sorrow and bitterness, but you need to be like the remnant we saw before, the remnant that God continued to, to have endure, that you would be found faithful so that someone else could come and lean on you for, for encouragement, for support, for hope in Christ so they could grow and they could be whole. But there's, there's two parts we can play. Sometimes we need to be faithful and sometimes we need to be faithful to share our vulnerability and honesty with someone because we're not doing so great. So we need to look for faithful people. God provides rest through faithful people. Number four, final point. God provides rest through opportunities to persevere. For opportunities to persevere or opportunity, continued opportunities to be faithful. And I know this kind of sounds weird, doesn't it? Yeah, God's providing me opportunities to persevere. Thanks, God. It's like when I pray for patience. Like, God, I pray that you make me more patient. And then what's he do? He puts you in the center of a traffic jam. Like, this is not what I was asking. No, yes, it was. That's exactly what you're asking. Oh, yeah, it was. If we want to find rest, if we want to to trust and rest in God's provision for us, we need to look at and take advantage of the opportunities God gives us to persevere. And we need to persevere. James says this, Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. There's a fruit being produced here, right? Right? And endurance, and let endurance, have its full effect. I left full, came back empty. I need to grow. I need to become full. So lean into those trials. Persevere through those trials. Let endurance have its full effect so that you might be mature and complete, lacking nothing. That's, that's this wholeness. So yes, it is up to us to, to pray, God, please provide for me, provide for me rest. And he says, okay, here's an opportunity right now for you to persevere. Here's an opportunity right now for you to trust me. Are you going to do it? Because through that, I want to give you fullness. I want to teach you what it's like to be full through trial and adversity. I want to, I want to teach you what it's like to be full through through persevering uh, over, over all these hard things in life, the things that come up. Because God's, God's providing His hesed love, again, is trying to push those out of the way and clear the way for you. But He's basically there to hold you, hold you as you go through it, that we would persevere through it. Naomi has been considered by many a, a female Job, a female version of Job in the Bible. So I'm going to, you know, turn there. You can look at it later. Um, I want to kind of parallel this and show you this in Scripture, okay? So I'm going to read out of Job chapter 3. And it says, Job says this. Now remember, Job had, had what? Everything. And he lost what? Everything. And it wasn't by his own wandering heart, right? We see Elimelech go wander and, he, and everything is lost. So there's times that it's judgment and times it just happens because it's life. That's true in each time. But each time there's a time to opportunity 
to persevere. Here's Job. Here's what he said, and it sounds very familiar. We, so we sometimes ridicule Naomi for saying, call me Mara, right? But Job, he's like, he's awesome. If we could all be like Job, I want you to listen to what happens in chapter 3. This is, this is Job speaking. I sigh when food is put before me, and my groans pour out like water. For the thing I feared has overtaken me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I cannot relax or be calm. I have no rest, for turmoil has come. Does that sound familiar? Some of you are like, yeah, it sounds like me right now. It might. It might. It's okay. Job was there. Naomi was there. And we're going to be there too. But, so what does it look like to persevere through that? And I think, I think Job, from this point on, we see, we see the same thing. Like, Naomi, don't call me, Naomi, call me Mara. Call me bitter because the Lord has made me bitter and he's, he's afflicted me. So what happens next on this wandering trip? What happens next for us? What happens next for them? Well, verse, or chapter 27, his friends, had, his friends had, had argued back and forth. His wife said, curse God and die. You should repent of your sin. Obviously, you're a horrible sinner in some way. You're hiding it. Like, you need to, you need to figure this out. And Job's like, I know who I am. I know who God is. I know I'm distressed. And he responds back to some of these friends and some of these, these people's positions. And in Job 27, he says this, As God lives, who has deprived me of justice, and the Almighty, who has made me bitter, honesty there, as long as my breath is in me and the breath from God remains in my nostrils, my lips, my lips will not speak unjustly and my tongue will not utter deceit. Job says, you know what? Yeah, life, life is bad right now. This is not fun. I don't have a clue what God's up to, but you will not make me curse God and die. He had this heart inside of him, this setup saying, you know what, if I'm going to have rest from him, I can't run away from him. I need to run towards him. I need to persevere. And that's the heart of what Job was doing. He was going to persevere through the trial, through the, the distress, through the turmoil that he was facing. And Naomi was, was also bitter, right? And, and she had suffered loss, but she decided to persevere. If you go to Ruth chapter 1 and look at verse 7 with me. So, so she had lost everything. And at that moment, she can decide, I'm going to just soak in my bitterness and curse God and die and stay in Moab and worship the Moabite God. Right? I want to worship Chemosh instead. She decided not to do that. Verse 7 says, She left the place where she had been living, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law, and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. She's distressed. She's in the middle of a really tough trial, a really tough time. She's lost everything. What does she decide to do? Curse God and die? No. She says, you know what? I'm going back. I'm going back to the one I know who has an enduring, faithful, covenantal, loyal love for me. And I know he's going to provide for me. I don't know how. I don't know what this looks like. But I am leaving the land of Moab and I am going back to the land of Judah. I'm going back where I'm supposed to be. Some of us need to do the same thing. Some of us are in a spot right now where, where we have been on that edge of, God, God, why are you doing this? I, I hate you, I hate you, I, I curse God and die. I want to I wander away. Well, you're not going to find the provision of rest if you wander away from him. You'll be in turmoil. You'll be in unrest. You'll be in anxiety. God says, I want you to lean in. I want to be your father. I want to help you. Let me hold you. 
I love that with my kids. When they, when they do something and they get hurt, maybe they didn't even mean to do it and they got hurt, I love to run out and pick them up and hold them and let them cry on me. Because I'm, I'm a father. That's my heart. And the father's heart says he wants us to run to him in adversity as well, knowing that he can provide the rest that we need. Now look at this attitude in chapter 2 of, of Ruth. Naomi's attitude. Her mother-in-law said to her, where did you gather barley today? And, and where, did you, where did you go work? And, and, and then she says this, and, I, and I, I skipped this last, or last time we read it. She says this, may the Lord bless the man who noticed you. That, what kind of attitude is that? That's an attitude that says, I'm trusting God. I'm trusting that God is the one that provides blessing. Naomi, who is bitter and angry, is, there's progress being made here, isn't there? Her, her attitude says, I hope the Lord blesses that man. I hope he, he, he sees that and rewards that. So she knows her attitude is already there. Why? Because she could probably echo with Job, my lips will not speak unjustly against God. Yes, I'm bitter. Yes, I'm angry. Yes, I'm mad. Yes, I've lost everything. But God is still good. And I, sure hope, I hope he's still in the business of blessing people because she certainly needs that. So Ruth told her it was Boaz, right? We saw that earlier. Oh, Boaz in this, this sense of, I'm sure, like assurance and, and, and like victory comes over her and this, this ease comes over her. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may the Lord bless him because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. Now there's a lot of theology under this too, but, but Naomi knows like there's a, there's a bigger blessing coming than the one that's going to go to Boaz or go to Ruth. She knows that, that it's going to come to her as well, that there's this redemption going to be happening because Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. He's one that's in line to say, I, I can help make this whole. That's what God's calling me to do. And Naomi continued, the man is a close relative. He is, he is one of our family redeemers. So this hope and this faith and this belief are building in Naomi as she decides to persevere through. Then we go on and see verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 1. Ruth's mother-in-law said to her, and see this, this progression here. Uh, gotta, this, is, this might be hard to catch unless we really check it out in verse 1 of chapter 3. Ruth's mother-in-law said to Naomi, I'm sorry, Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, my daughter, shouldn't I find rest for you? Like, I want to work hard to find rest for you, a husband, so that you will be taken care of. That sounds really noble, isn't it? Hope, hope the Lord blesses Boaz. I hope the Lord blesses Ruth. I, I really know God can bless, but I'm not in a place to be blessed. But look at what she says next. Verse 2. Now, isn't Boaz our relative? Our relative. She didn't say, now, isn't Boaz the one who could marry you and perpetuate your line, Ruth? Let's make sure you guys get, get meet up, man. Let's do this. She says, yeah, I know that's true. But he is our relative. She puts herself in that position of saying, I'm, God's doing something here with me. I don't know what, but, but God's going to do some redemption here. I'm going to persevere. I'm going I'm to keep my eyes focused on Jesus and let him do what he wants to do. And Naomi said, my daughter, and this is verse 18, she, she, told, she told her what to do, go down to the threshing floor and go, go let's say, you know, cover, cover me with your blanket. And like, like she proposed basically, right? And then, and then there, what happens in, in, in 18, she says, my daughter, Wait until you find out how things go, for he will not rest until he resolves this matter today. She's trusting in God again, saying, I, I know God is working something out. I she's excited. She's, she's now becoming the encourager, isn't she? She's becoming the support. She's becoming this faithful one to Ruth. But it's because she's persevering so that God, and as God provides, 
her, her rest. So, so what happens with Job? In Job 42, we see this progression. He says, I'm not going to speak unjustly about God. And, and eventually there's this redemption that happens there with Job, and there's this healing that happens. So Job chapter 42, uh, verses 12 and 13 and 16 and 17. And you can read the whole thing later. It says, so the Lord blessed the last part of Job's life's life more than the what? The first. Because the first, he was full, and then he was empty. And now what the scriptures say is, now he's even more full. He's even fuller. How amazing is that? That's what God's doing, right? The idea of providing rest is giving you this fullness of rest. He owned 14,000 sheep and goats, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had, this is important, verse 13, he also had seven sons and three daughters. Catch that for a minute. Hold it. Kind of put it here. Put a thumbtack in it. We're coming back to it. Job lived, now get this, he lived 140 years after this and saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. You, f- you feel it inside of you right now? You feel like, oh man, this is cool. Here's, it goes on. Then Job died, old and full of days. You see what God does? You see what God's in the business of doing? Is, is, is helping us persevere so that he, in his hesed love for us, can provide rest. That we may feel empty, but you know what he wants to do? He wants to make you feel full. And that rest first comes in the belief in the Son, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. That we could have rest because of what he did for us. And we don't have to go there now on our own. What, what does it look like in Ruth? What does it look like for Naomi? Well, Ruth chapter 4, verse 15. Talking about this, this baby. Obed was born. She says, or the, I think the women, the women say this, he will renew your life. He will renew your life. Who will really renew? renew? God. God will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law, Ruth, the Moabitess, right? Your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than what? Seven sons. You see, the, this is Job. Job and his seven sons. This is not on accident. The author is writing this and putting this in the story. They know this. Ruth is better to you than seven sons, or, they, or is better to you than the fullness Job had in the seven sons that God gave him after he lost everything. It's better than you than seven sons has given birth to him, Obed. He will renew your life, sustain you. There's this fullness that Naomi has now that she could never have imagined having before. And she doesn't, she's an honest lady, isn't she? She says it how it is. And these women say, he's renewed you and sustained you in your life, and this woman's better to you than seven sons. And she could have said what? How dare you talk about my two dead sons and my husband, my dead husband like that? How, how dare you diminish them? She's honest, right? She would have said, I I, I can't believe you're talking like that. It'll never be like it used to be. But does she say that? No. She holds this little baby in her arms and the joy of God sustaining, providing rest overwhelms her. She's like, yep, yep, God is good. God is good. Why? Because she persevered through. I want to go back to the book of Hebrews. Last passage, let's turn there together. I want to kind of tie this together with how we started. Chapter 4 of Hebrews. 
we talked about the wandering that happened in the desert and that we don't want to be found there. We don't want to be in a place of unbelief, of rebellion. So where are we now? Hebrews 4, verses 1 through 2, and then we'll jump down to 11. It says this. Therefore, since everything we just talked about, I'm, I'm kind of you know, paraphrasing that, since everything we just talked about, and starting with Hebrews 3, the last part, says this. Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains... Let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. Now, this is important to, to understand what fallen short here means. How are we falling short? Like, what would, what, would, what would be considered falling short? So we have this promise still remains from God that we would enter his rest. Beware not to fall short. So let's go on. What, the fall short, we're going to tag that in a minute. For we also have received the good news, just as they did. But the message they heard did not benefit them. Fallen short, not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard it in what? Faith. How do you fall short? Unbelief. How do you fall short? A lack of faith. A heart that says, I'm prone to wander, and then I'm going to wander and go wherever I want. That's how we fall short. And God's like, I want you to enter your rest. Stop, stop falling short and put yourself short and then follow me. Embrace me. Believe me for your hope. Believe me for your future. Believe me that I in my love for you will provide rest. So in verse 11 of Hebrews 4, let us then make every effort, I think Job did this, I think Naomi did this, every effort to enter that rest so that none of you will fall into the same pattern of disobedience or the same pattern of what? Of wandering, of unbelief and who God is, and who his love, and what his love is for us. You and I have this, this opportunity every day to be encouraged by other people that are faithful. But God's providence, providential love and his providing love, his hesed love for us, is there so you and I would, would be provided rest for our souls. And our souls are often weary, aren't they? And they need rest. For you and I, it's, it's a matter of belief and faith and persevering through even the darkest hour of our life. That we'd be honest and come to a place where God can give us healing and God can give us fullness because of his great love for us. So you might be prone to wander, but God, in his faithful, covenantial, steadfast, enduring, merciful love for us, is ready to provide rest for our souls. Amen? All right, let's stand and pray together. Father, you are a gracious, gracious God, and your, your steadfast love truly does endure forever. And Father, we're amazed by that, and I, I pray you keep that amazement and wonder of that enduring love at, at the highest point in our heart always. God, that we would, we would cling to that and know that your enduring love is, is there for us to grab onto. And God, in the darkest hour, in the time where our heart feels prone to wander, that you would, you would bring us back to yourself. You would help us with, with faithful friends around us. That you would encourage our hearts to share and to, and to share vulnerably with others and be honest. And God, that we would persevere. We would decide to persevere through adversity. That you would produce a fruit in us. And we would be mature and complete, lacking nothing. God, we want your fullness to reign. And God, we give you the glory. We give you the credit because of your enduring love. Help us to be more and more like your son, Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
as we close, it's